Good evening, and you're very welcome to another episode of the Women's National League podcast here on FineWhistle.ie. I have fixed the audio. Apologies about that. Uh, there's always a one boo-boo uh, technical-wise uh, on the show every week. But Aaron, you're back again to join me for another week. Uh, it's been a busy weekend of action on and off the pitch. Uh, we're going to be talking all things Treaty United with their new CEO, brand new investment in the club. We'll be chatting to Kieran McCormick, former Republic of Ireland international and, of course, a well-experienced uh, pr- professional uh, through the game in Europe and in North America, has been with a Treaty this year. She's recently been appointed CEO of the club with a, a brand new investment from uh, North America and that's exciting times for everything in the Midwest. We'll be chatting to her in just a few moments. But Aaron, uh, we'll also be getting into the Cup semi-finals at the weekend and a couple of shocks maybe. I think uh, Shells, they turned over Shamrock Rovers having lost them comfortably enough the week before. Um, and then Athlone probably expectedly and probably deservedly uh, ran out winners in the showgrounds yesterday evening uh, or Saturday evening. Yeah, yeah, that was yesterday. Evening. I'm losing track of days here as well. Um, your thoughts on the game quickly before we go and have a chat with Kieran. First of all, he, we have an important guest on, and Brefney's coming out with the baby face. The baby face is here to stay. <laughs> Literally rock up to the podcast, no, no, Brefney's all shaved, ready to go. Um, to be honest with you, we'll, get in, we'll delve into the Shells game in more detail later, but night and day performance difference to, to last week. Lack of mistakes from Shelburne compared to what they did done last week. The Sligo game... I was one got probably one goal away. I said that probably at would probably win a three 0 last week and wasn't wasn't wrong. Um, a repeat of last year's cup final. We will delve into the league the league as well. Massive massive week for for P Mount. All the haters are going really quiet this week, which I really like. Um, said on social media, it's probably the sweetest win for P Mount in terms of the, the league title because of the fact of what they've had to come through, what they've had to go through. James O'Callaghan. What can you say about the man? Like he's he's been through massive adversity with, with what happened in 2021, then losing the league again last year, and then to do what he's done this year with that P Mount side, Brian O'Sullivan and Derek Masterson by his side. Like, what more can you say about that P Mount side? And look forward to really getting getting into the trenches of that later and chatting a bit more about that. But listen, exciting show ahead. Looking forward to chatting to Kira. Um Treaty probably having their best season since. Probably, probably, it's probably fair to say it's the best season from a Limerick-based side in the National League ever. It's probably best, probably the best way to describe. But I think, I think they um, had a couple of decent seasons in the early days of of uh, Limerick FC. But I've been impressed by Trudy this year. I suppose it's as good a time as any to bring Kira into the conversation. Uh, she joins us now from Limerick. Uh, Kira, you're very, very welcome to the show. First of all, thanks and for having me. And congratulations on the 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 news and the new appointment and the investment. Um, I suppose before we get into the nuts and bolts of the of the investment, if anyone has any questions they want to put to Kira, who's listening in on the show uh, this evening, you can just drop them in the comments below, and we can bring them in and and put them to her. She's going to be with us for about half an hour, or so we're going to just chat through all the news of the last week. Um, but let's maybe start with the game yesterday, Kira. Um, went to Cork. Disappointment, maybe not to get a, a positive result from the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Cork is definitely a game that you know we should win. Um, or yeah, I mean, I think it's a game that we'd be disappointed not to win. So, um, but fair play, they you know they played well. They kind of again when you have the sort of um, you know just they were hungrier, got to balls quicker, better, put away their chance. So yeah, well deserved from their end to win the game for sure, and disappointing from our side. Gotta get your opinion on this on this Kira because I've been overly critical in recent in recent weeks and, and Brefney will tell you that. 
um, when it comes to playing the game in Bishopstown. For someone, when you see other teams playing in the big stadiums, what's that like when you come to play in a game in, in the likes of Bishopstown? We've seen, just sort of the context for the listeners, the Irish under-17s were due to playing Turner's Cross the other day. The game had to be moved due to the pitch being unplayable as well. What's that like as a player when you're supposed to play in one ground, then you're moved to another ground? Yeah, I mean, I think for players, like, playing in Turner's Cross in Cork is, you know, it's a great stadium and exciting. Um, so, yeah, I think for sure, you know, and I, I think it's maybe a great thing now, like a luxury as as women's players where before you'd never get to play in the stadiums. But I think now, um, yeah, it's a disappointment if you're not playing in the stadium. So I'd say for sure it, it would have an effect. Let's get back uh, to the start of the season, obviously, because you're a well-traveled professional player. You did represent Ireland for, I think, eight appearances early in the last decade. Uh, we're not going to put an age on you. That's uh, not fair. But uh, you've been around the, the block. You've you've been uh, in the professional game in Europe and North America. Um, how do you end up in treaty and how did that all come about? I'm still asking myself that question. No, I'm just joking. Um, no it's very me. random. It's absolutely random. Actually, I had a Facebook memory pop up um, of a year ago and I just was laughing because it's definitely... This time last year, none of this was really in the cards. So um, it's quite interesting how it's all come. But to make a very long story short, um, I had approached the League of Ireland um, about, I, I initially had an interest, actually, my mom's from West Cork. And so I kind of had like this romantic idea of, you know, starting a women's team down in West Cork. Um, but then once I spoke to the league, they were sort of saying that the League of Ireland was moving towards, you know, men's teams, women's teams, and an academy, you know, so it was like a full, you know, basically you can't just put a standalone team in anymore. Um, and then they basically, you know, they said in Munster, you know, on the women's side that Treaty could use a hand. And Mary Curtin was actually one of my best friends playing for Ireland. Um, so I just told them right away, oh, that's like a, that's an easy one for me because Mary is one of my good friends. So reached out to Mary and then um, anyways, to make, again, try to make a long story short. Um, yeah, I, I'm very passionate about, you know, just the whole soccer scene in Canada as well. And that women players, you know, when they're done university, they don't have an opportunity to continue playing. So I wanted to bring over um, some girls to an Irish club. And like I said, they um, treaty, obviously with the season they had last year um, needed a hand. And so that was how I kind of connected in with treaty um, kind of pitched the idea again, I have my own business, um, you know, running camps and clinics. And so I had said I'd fund it, um, in terms of bringing the Canadians over. And I think they were very skeptical as to like, you know, I, I think obviously it helped that I had Mary vouching for me and I'd played for Ireland, but I'm still obviously like a outsider and a North American and, you know, everyone, they didn't even understand why would Canadians want to come over to the league. So trying to explain to them just the, you know, the way that it is in Canada that we don't have a league to go after university. Um, anyway, so long story short, I ended up convincing them um, to, you know, just let me do it. And like I said, I think they just had a lot of skepticism, but I obviously delivered in what I said I, I would. And um, yeah, so that that's kind of the story on how I got to treaty. And then as a side thing, I'd said to them, listen, like I haven't actually played proper 11 v 11 in like four years, but I'd probably be better than like the local you know, 15 year old or whatever that was playing for the team. So um, anyways, I'd said to Mary, like not to say anything, like I just kind of come in with the Canadian girls and just see how my body was. And then the next thing I knew they'd announced it. And even my parents didn't know that it was happening. And I had a whole bunch of messages, like very confused as to like, you're 43 years old and like you're playing soccer in Limerick, like what's going on. 
So anyways, that's, yeah, that's how that, that took it anyways to February. That reminds me so much of, of Sylvia G playing for so long in the, in the, in the national, in the national league, but like, there was a lot of hype around when you'd come in, Kira. Were you expecting that sort of thing, especially because you say, as you say, you, you hadn't played in a couple of years, you, you know, and coming back into, had you expected that sort of hype to come around? Because I've seen loads of media outlets were writing about you coming back in. Had you expected any of that? No, I, I actually, I was like dying laughing because one of the questions I got was like, you know, Ireland's qualified for the World Cup. Is this like a an attempt to make the World Cup team? And I was like, no, I think my goal is to be like standing after 45 minutes. Like, I think my, you know, not quite where we're at anymore. So yeah, I just like, I thought the whole thing was hilarious, to be honest, because like I said, it was, I didn't even know what my body was going to be like coming in. So then the fact that there was even any talk that, anyways, yeah, I, I definitely was not expecting it. And um, yeah, it was pretty funny. There's almost, I think there's double figures of Canadian players in the league this year spread across a couple of teams. There's a couple of girls in Athlone. Um, Galway, I think Jamie Erickson's over there. There's a few in Trady, a couple in Shells as well. Um, was that a concerted effort or is that just a kind of a, a symptom of there not being a professional league in Canada? Yeah, so it's actually funny. Jamie and Christy Gray at Shells were both off of, like they connected with me a couple of years ago and I'd put them in touch. I had contacts at both places, so I'd put them in touch. Um, and it's great to see them, both of them, like really flourishing at those clubs. Um, yeah, that's the reality of it. There's nowhere to go in Canada. Um, it's it's horrendous. Like I've been, you know, spouting off about it for the last 20 years. It's it's almost worse now, opportunity wise. And to be honest, it's getting harder because obviously now all the other countries' youth systems and you know development systems are all getting stronger. So it's even harder now to break in as you know foreign players and stuff. But yeah, that's the reality, and that's why. Um, yeah, that like that is the reason why that a lot of players are just you know just trying to find an opportunity anywhere really. How have you? How have you and the the, the sort of Canada bunch and treaty? How how has life treated you though in in Limerick? Because it's a complete different contrast probably to being in to being in Canada. Well, and even even funnier is that the the Canadians were staying down in Ula and Tipperary, <laughs> so they were in like full-blown like rural Ireland so I mean I think it was I mean they loved it like they became I think the whole village they were living in was just absolutely mystified how these you know Canadian athletes are you know and they'd be yeah sending me videos of being at the bar and the guys they were talking to or like showing them of their like like cow or calves being born back at the farm like live streaming and like i told them they should start a youtube channel because just getting the text messages I, it was the funniest thing but yeah it's it's obviously a different world but i think that's even for me like all the places i've gotten to play like that's that's what it's all about like different experiences opening your mind to just seeing things other places and the way that they're done so yeah i think they've all myself included had a, like i i probably have Obviously, my parents are from Ireland, and I have loads of cousins, and I've been over here tons and tons of times. But um, yeah, even for me, to be honest, living here now, it's it's great. I, I love it, and yeah, I mean, Ireland's a great place to be for sure. So, twelve months on uh, from the nucleus of this idea, uh, you're looking at a new future in Limerick, medium to long term, uh, new new investment. Tell us a bit about maybe who 
are the investors um, yeah. and, and what kind of they're bringing to the table. Uh, Tricor Pacific Capital uh, is the official mm-hmm. name of the business. But uh, tell us a bit about why they're getting involved and what you're hoping to achieve with this kind of uh, new lease of, of, I suppose, support for the club. Um, yeah, like it's it's quite funny because Tricor Pacific Capital was not looking for a soccer team to invest in. Um, I'm actually really good friends with the son of the owner of Tricor. Um, so um, yeah, it, it was essentially, I think, like I, I kind of planted, well, I guess I'd gone to, when I got to Treaty, I sort of saw that there was a need, you know, just again, it very volunteer run and, and the volunteers and what the club has built in the last three years is unbelievable. And like, I'm still blown away with just the quality of just people down like in treaty all around the club, honestly, like it's, it is really, truly, um, it's the best part of soccer in the sense of like what they've done and how they've come together as a community and built something. Um, when I got down here in, you know, February, March, I could see though that it was kind of, even with me bringing the Canadian girls over, it was like we were making the team competitive and it wasn't like, you know, it was almost like plugging a hole as opposed to, you know, taking it anywhere. Um, so that was kind of, I had asked the board, you know, would they be open if I found investors? And then I, you know, reached out my friend Riley. We went, we're from Vancouver, both of us, but we didn't meet till we got to college. We both went to Yale together and um, he ended up marrying um, his wife. He, my Riley went to UCC and to med school there and married his wife. Um, so she's from Cork. Um, anyway, so I had spoken to Riley about it and, um, anyways, we went and talked to his dad and I mean, it's not their normal investment at all. Like, and you know, he kind of, I think it was almost like humoring us with like, you know, taking the meeting initially, like it was kind of like, guys, like this is, this is nice, but this is so not what we invest in or we, I don't, he's like, I don't even understand the business parameters of how any of this works, you know, you know? Um, and then basically he went away and then ended up meeting a friend who actually is really big into soccer and who had built a club, um, from the, like, again, to cut from volunteer to, you know, more, you know, just kind of run more like a business in, in Vancouver. And I think that kind of piqued his interest. And then he happened to be going to Ireland like the following week. And then it just kind of snowballed. And anyway, so then that's kind of how we got them on board. Um, and I think they, it's one of those things where now they're really excited about it, but, um, you know, it, it's, they're, it, they're an unbelievable, like, honest to God, like, I mean, they're just, their whole business ethos is like investing in people, long-term investment, sustainability, um, you know, building something that people can be proud of, um, good values, like all the things again, where it's not always a given when you're taking investment, but like, I can't speak highly enough of them as people like the, my friend Riley's mom was actually a whistleblower at the 98 Olympics for figure skating. Um, and, and basically the whole judging system in skating changed because of her. And like, but that's just, you know, their family's amazing. And I really am pinching myself that, you know, like I said, like the league, like Limerick, all of it, like so lucky to have a family like them involved because they are in it for the long haul. It's not about just like, making a profit or whatever, like they want to build something special. And like, that's what they do in all different sorts of sectors. And I've just, you know, lured them into the Irish soccer sector. So, but yeah, they're very excited and um, they'll definitely be over to Limerick for sure next year. Is there pressure on you considering you were the person who brought the funding in, you've been made part of the CEO of the, of the club. Is there pressure on you? Do you think just because 
you know, you've come to 3D, you, you've had a positive impact and then you're looking to take to the next step. Do you think there's pressure on you maybe to see how far you can bring this project along? You know, honestly, I'm so excited. Like I, of course, it's like with anything you do in life and, and you know, again, the, the kind of the bigger risks you take, the more pressure there is. But I think that's where, honest to God, I think like just being, having the background of, I just a playing, you know, career that I've, I've had in the, I've had a lot of scary big situations that could have been huge wipeouts. Do you know what I mean? And you kind of just learn to exist in that type of pressure. And so to be honest, it's like my dream come true to have an opportunity, you know, again, to take everything that I learned as a player um, and to just apply it. Um, and obviously like my whole sort of other side of when I was playing was also like running, you know, business in the soccer space. So just to sort of, take that knowledge, take the structure that, you know, and, and the business acumen that Tricor has. And then also just, again, as a player trying to, you know, bring it all together. I think it's really exciting. In terms of what it will look like uh, from the start of next season or, or beyond, um, obviously there's been an issue treating don't own their own facilities in terms of the, the ground or training facilities. Um, very good base of coaching in the in the community is kind of a legacy of the previous uh, regime in the in the county in the county there's a lot of kind of really good coaches um will we see the same personnel in charge of teams will we see best, still based on the markets field what's the plan in terms of training facilities is there is that kind of part of the plan or is it all about on the field stuff in the first instance Listen, there's obviously coming into the situation, there's, I mean, even just operationally to try to just get a grasp of everything. Um, so, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, Markets Fields, obviously the, like, that's the natural place that you'd want to play. Um, you know, there's a little bit of back and forth with the LEDP and the council about like who's actually going to be running it. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's quite certain that we're going to be, we are definitely going to be playing out of there. So um, you know, so that's obviously the first step is to kind of come in and have a conversation there. Um, again, same thing with training facilities. I think obviously long-term you'd love to have your own training facilities, but just out of the gates, just to solidify things, it's just about building good relationships with the different entities around Limerick. Um, and, you know, again, we've like lots of meetings set up with people. And then from a personnel perspective, I think, you know, I think the main thing again is retaining you know, obviously, I, I even recognize I'm coming in as an outsider, the Limerick people like the Mary Curtains, the Tommy Barrett's, the people that have been in the trenches for lots and lots of years. You know, I think obviously, like, they've done amazing things, you know, with, you know, again, not a lot, a lot of times. Um, so I think obviously deferring to their experience and their knowledge of Limerick and Limerick soccer, and then just honestly taking the next few weeks just to kind of like, again, I, I'm really big on, you know, like getting feedback and hearing what people's experiences are. And so, yeah, I think in terms of from a personnel perspective, it'll kind of be, you know, just more of like a measured approach. Obviously, again, it's a tight turnaround to next season, but I think we are going to take a window and just kind of try to evaluate and listen to what people have to say and then sort of make decisions from there. To be fair, Tommy Barrett pulled the team together in about four days when they were created. So at four months, I'm sure he'd be quite happy with that kind of time frame to put aside together for next year. Yeah, and I mean he's a he's really an incredible person, and he you know works in the community, and um, obviously you can see like you know I guess I mean even watching I was at the game yesterday watching them play Galway, and you know what he's able to you know pull a competitive team together against full time teams and stuff is really impressive. So yeah, lots obviously, of good people down there. In terms of you know we we speak a lot about the women's side of things, but just even on the men's side, I assume that ambition has to be 
to get a, a sustainable Premier Division side, even on the on the men's side. And we look with the women's sections the way there's potential league expansions as well, is to make sure that treaties extremely competitive on both on both fronts and not necessarily lagging up on the table. I assume that's a that's a, a high priority. Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, it's going at things from a long-term perspective. I think, you know, the first thing coming in as sort of an experienced professional player and seeing that, like, all the teams are only training twice a week. Like, the last time that I trained twice a week was 11 years old as, like, a rec soccer player. And I'm not even saying that facetiously. It's the truth. So, I mean, I think right there, you know, I look at, you know, there's girls playing internationally underage, you know, in our club that – you know, you just think, wow, like if those girls were actually training four or five times a week, like if they're already doing so well training twice a week, like from that perspective, I think there's like huge growth potential in just sort of like professionalizing the, the academy and even up to the senior teams as well. So I think, you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, initially where can you kind of get the most bang, you know, for the situation, I think, you know, upping the training time and just investing into um, you know, just, yeah, all the things that come with training more. And then, you know, I think from there, then you start to then build a base of players that are coming out of Limerick and you also make the senior teams be places that the players want to play. So, you know, you look at the amount of players from Limerick playing for other clubs and stuff like that's, I think the goal would be to retain the talent like in Limerick and then, you know, obviously layer in that talent with maybe people like a few players from outside. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's. I think the the goal is to create something again, long term and sustainable, and to really focus in on, yeah, just professionalizing, like not even in pay necessarily immediately, but just in terms of like environment. One of my bugbears over recent seasons in the League of Ireland for the men and the women is probably the lack of investment in off the field stuff. Uh, probably key personnel in terms of admin staff. Uh, the, the kind of the commercial side of it really delivering properly to a, a level that's acceptable to a commercial partner. Um, is that something we can expect to see as part of this or, or will it again be focused on, on the pitch? No, absolutely. Like I'm full-time and there'll be another couple of people that are full-time and then more people that are part-time. So that's, that's absolutely. Um, yeah. And like I said, like you look at what treaties pulled together with volunteers, it's honest to God, like so unbelievably, impressive so you kind of think about taking that base now and layering it on with full-time people and obviously like you know if that side doesn't take off then it's 100 percent on my shoulders so um yeah so from that perspective I, I completely agree with you um but that's again you know i think it's part of sort of like professionalizing the league and you know soccer in ireland as a whole and you know again it's it those things don't happen overnight but um, as a player, you know, kind of being away from Ireland for the last 10 years and coming back in, like, I've been super impressed with the way that the league's been marketed. And a lot of times, I think as a female player, you hear like lots of lip service to, oh, you know, we're equal women, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I can honestly say as a, as a you feel that like respect or at least that effort to be equal on the women's side. And, and like I said, for, you know, it just was a given for a long time. So I think it's just, again, kind of increasing that and, and just continuing to build and grow. But I, I, I mean, again, look at the 37,000 people watching the Irish women play in the Aviva a couple of weeks ago, you know, the game's heading in a good direction. So I think it's exciting to be in a position to be able to continue that growth. A bit of a two prong question. First part, what culture do you want to, do you want the people to see that you're setting for treaty as a whole, as a club going forward? And when you look at clubs, especially in the women's section, like P-Mount United, that must inspire you, considering they have a very, very low budget of 
they haven't got the, the best facilities, but they're still able to create, create the best, some of the best players in the country and still win national leagues. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of like myself and, and what I'm about, you know, like I, I think for me, the biggest thing is like, I want to create an environment that like people walk away, like they want to come to cause it's super positive. Um, you know, you giving them every tool to be the best that they can possibly be um, treating people properly, like just, you know, just setting high standards, setting values and living by them. Um, but I just think ultimately I just, at the end of the day, like in life in general, like what's the point of doing things if you're not enjoying, you know, enjoying it. So that's, I think for me, the first thing. And then, yeah, I think Piedmont's a perfect example of like, you build a community, you build values, structures, um, you know, an, an environment. And those things are like, they, they do, they override, um, absolutely. They override funds, you know, if, like that's the base you have to build things on and that's what championships are built on, you know? So, um, yeah, I think it's great. It's really, you know, again, congratulate, like huge congratulations to Piedmont for, um, winning the league and, and again, being like a great example to show that, that, that those are the things that really do matter. You talked about equality and I suppose coming from the American collegiate system, Title IX, obviously, as some of our listeners might not be aware, but it requires institutions to put the same amount of investment into women's sports as men's sports. And it really does create a lot of opportunities for females in sport across the entire country. Uh, will we see a 50-50 split given your own background uh, in terms of where the focus goes or will there be a, a split one way or the other next year or have you even got to that stage yet? Listen, I like for me, a hundred percent, that's like, that's how I, that's how I want it to be. I think, um, you know, again, and sort of kind of having to just take things step by step. I think obviously, you know, you're coming into the women having no budget and the men having like a, you know, a significant budget, relatively speaking. So, um, yeah, you know, this year, I don't think it'll be 50, 50, but that's absolutely again, in terms of, I mean, that, that's how it should, like, that's how it should be in my opinion, in terms of, um, again, like just equal investment. I mean, I guess there's lots of different ways that you can, you can take that, but I, I think, you know, I think we're in a situation, at least in treaty that the, that the budgets are low enough that that is a realistic goal. So, um, yeah, it's not about taking away from the men either. Like it's about building up both. And, and, you know, again, it's, it's, it's going to be a slow build, but I'd like to have, you know, your ideal situation would be to have the men and the women be professional and everyone's getting paid well and, and whatever. But I think that the things honestly, again, important, like important to me is like, you know, from an equality standpoint, it's not even necessarily just about like salary. It's also like, how are you marketed? Is it truly like equal on social media? What you're doing for the men as for the women are the, you know, the staffing, is that the same? Is the like the um, just the environment around it in terms of the sort of like strength and conditioning and those things are they the same? You know, like those are things that um, you know those are those are kind of controllables. I think from the start that um, you know again training times is it the same? You know, like so those are the sorts of things I think for me just to build that sort of foundation where it's not like you know the boys are getting this and the girls are getting something like lower or you know like I think that's a part from a controllable coming in and how I think that's how it should be personally. Um, again, that everyone's, you know, given the environment to flourish in and it's not one or the other. We're like a, a club and a team and it's, we're all about, you know, building each other up. So I think, um, yeah, for sure. Equality is a core value of mine. And, um, and just again, even more so than that, giving everybody the tools to flourish. So, um, yeah, so that is, I think that could be something that, yeah, you could expect from sort of our ethos as a club. On the field at the minute, 
this year has probably been the first year in, in a while from a treaty viewpoint where mid-season you've been able to attract players from of decent of good caliber from other clubs that gives you a good base to start with have you have you started to have these conversations with say some of the players you brought in from abroad some of the players that have done well for you and when do you sort of start this whole building of the of the team for next year do you have you started to have conversations yet with with the management side of things or is that as soon as the season finishes yeah, again, it's been like an absolute whirlwind in the sense that like not even knowing for sure that this was happening even in the last couple, you know, it just kind of seemed like it was getting over the line. But I mean, it's been a long few months of trying to put this all together. So, um, yeah. So in terms of like, again, you know, you you hope that that, you know, kind of the word gets out in terms of, you know, what we're trying to build and that it is going to be you know, from a resources and that type of perspective and training and all that stuff that it's going to be different for next season. Um, but obviously also too, you need to respect that players are playing on teams right now. And, and like, it's not my style to, you know, be sort of disrespecting other teams and reaching out to players. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for sure, um, you know, like the, again, the turnaround time is quite quick, but um, at this point, honestly, we're just getting our feet settled and, and just trying to, you know, there's a lot of things going on besides on the field as well that we have to make sure are in place for the club to run properly. So um, it'll be a hectic few weeks, but I imagine like getting into November, we'll probably start thinking more about that side of things. Just one follow up on that. Does this mean now because of the new role that Kieran McCormick stays on the pitch or done, or could we still see a lining out in the 3D colours? Um, I feel like my work wife, Mary Curtin, would be uh <laughs> there's only one answer that I feel like is acceptable to her, but uh I mean, I don't know. I, I beat my own drum, so um I don't know. I I, I mean, listen, I, I haven't really gotten to play that much the last few months obviously because of all of this and it's actually quite funny because i think my teammates said like i kind of disappeared <laughs> and it probably like makes sense now like like, like jack in the box or whatever like this is like this is where i was um so i don't know i mean i love to play uh probably i'll be at practice if mary doesn't allow me to play um i don't know we'll see it, it's like i said it's all really fresh and new and and to be honest like Obviously, I'm going to put whatever's best for the club first. And so if that's not playing anymore, then that's not playing anymore. But um, I'll show, I'm sure I'll be a regular at practice, even if I'm not actually on the team. I think when an answer like that, you probably need to go into politics. Uh, you didn't actually answer the question. But I think we get the, <laughs> we get the idea. Listen, Kira, congratulations uh, on all the exciting news coming out of uh, of the club, both for in terms of the club's future, but also in terms of your own. It's great to see around the league people with your experience and your expertise uh, coming in and, and the investment that's coming into our games, particularly in the female side, obviously. Uh, we're big fans of that here on the show. So uh, thanks for joining us and the very, very best of luck um, for, I suppose, the next three or four months when the real serious work kind of gets going uh, and you get your feet under the desk properly. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me and all the great work you guys are doing too. Perfect. Thanks, Millie Kara. Okay, bye. Kira McCormick there. Um, oh, I, I, I it's, it's phenomenal. It's great to see that kind of level of of um, support coming in to teams in the league. Um, your thoughts? It's got to be positive for both the club and the league in general. There's, there's so much that we probably don't know that she's trying to do as well in the background that she's trying to bring on even further. But it's the simple things to me that she spoke about when she talked about like the equality. For me, it's not all about money i you know i've said i said it all along money only gets you money only gets you so far and we've seen that we've seen that in the league this year 
but like when you look at for me things like the simple things like social media coverage across things simple little things and she talked so much about you know what what can be controlled and how they can control that's the sort of impression that leaves a lasting impression and i think she's someone who's going to get down get get really get get stuck into the job for treaty and i think not just the women will benefit but i think the men will benefit massively from what she wants to do the only thing and i probably didn't we probably didn't mention this as much with her but be interesting to see how coming from someone who's a, a soccer mad how she how she taps into that the 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 local limerick sporting sporting hold can't can't she get treated to get a bit of a a big a big a big uphold and because there's no doubt with the limerick curlers doing so well monster being based in limerick how can they can they grow their fan base it's a lot it's positive a lot everything is positive and there's so much that is going on i'm just really keen to see how kira gets on and what kira does with with them in the next in the next couple of months and, and into into the next season the only thing i will say is and this is for listeners if, if you're a fan of treaty united please don't just jump the gun if the women or men or women don't make massive strides in the next six to eight months the thing is she's talking about it being a process and to talking about a long term for me that's the most important thing that it's not about what we're going to do short term it's about what they're going to do long term ideally I, I would like to see them tie alvin heist up as well and say listen alvin we want you there next year because that was one thing that sort of struggled when it comes to treating the last number of years as management turnovers. You look, the players have gone out the window. Out the likes Amy Madden, you know, Michaela Lawrence at Wexford, Nicole Nix, some of the youngsters who've gone have constantly gone out the door and hopefully they can keep them sort of players and build in the next couple of, in the next couple of years. But it's all positive. It's a it was interesting to hear what Kira had to say, but I think it's a great personality to have it have in the league, no doubt. Yeah, of course, we didn't uh, really talk about the specific numbers involved. That's kind of uh, fairly private information, I'm sure. But at the same time, it's it's positive to hear them talking about professional contracts, semi-professional contracts, even if that's not in the short term. Uh, we need to see more teams doing that. Now, there's pros and cons to that kind of uh, big investor coming in and, and kind of bankrolling things. I think there's there's a certain nice mix you can get. Uh, between the volunteer and the professional staff off the pitch that kind of run the club. And I think sometimes the professional investment or those kind of serious investors sometimes dilute that volunteerism that can cause a huge expense for clubs. But I think it's a it's a pitfall. Or there's pitfalls and, and pathways through this. I think uh, there's no better person to take care of that. Let's maybe go back and take a look at some of the action over the weekend. Of course, there was four games. We kind of touched on the treaty game with uh, Kira, so we mightn't focus on that too much. But uh, let's talk about, before we get into the Cup semifinals, Piedmont have won the league. Uh, they've won it on the head-to-head rule, effectively, in that they can only be matched by Shamrock Rovers. Four games left for Rovers, 12 points in the difference. And even if they were to win all 12 and Piedmont dropped their points, uh, Piedmont would still win on the head-to-head. So they've won it, despite maybe not looking like they've won it mathematically. It is done and dusted. They will lift the cup, I believe, against Sligo Rovers in their last no, game. Um, it's nice for from a Piedmont point of view that they've that done and dusted and put to bed and they've won the league and they've won it in, in a really impressive fashion. They've won it with kids. They've won it with kids. Like we, we talked during the summer when when Kate Mooney left to go to Lewis, where do we where were the where were the goals gonna come from? Like you look at young Alan Dillon, I think she's she must have scored I think that's her fourth her fourth league goal is she scored twice Saturday, Jess with Cheryl in the middle of the park. There's no doubt about it. The one thing you will say is James O'Callaghan has manager of the year, wrapped up, signed, sealed, delivered. If anybody else is even, you can't. For what they what they have done this year, um, it's just been it's been it's been it's been magic. And like they've only dropped points in two games. 
that was the the four one defeat against Shelburne where they were one nil up at home. And Shells hit them, hit them in a 10 15 minute spell in the second half. The only other point they dropped is the two points against Rovers, where they should have beaten Rovers that day in PRL Park. And Man, the Wooden made multiple, multiple great saves, including the penalty from Karen Duggan. Like it's just been ultimate consistency. I think that's 10 wins on the bounce from in the how, league. Like. But, but I think it's stunning how I know we've, we've kind of talked them up all year because. Uh, they've surprised us. Let's be honest. We didn't really give them a chance of being league title contenders at the start of the year. I thought they'd struggle. Uh, I thought they'd still finish top tier four, but I didn't think they'd be in the running for the league title. I thought I thought they'd be they'd be there or thereabouts, but they'd come up short. I yeah. didn't think they. I didn't think they'd be like when we look at the squad because I, I remember looking at um I won't name the outlet, but you've probably seen the 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 thing going around social media where someone's saying the Piedmont Dynasty's finished at the start of the season and. Uh, P-Man players have jumped all over that. And that's probably written up on that's that picture's probably up on the wall in the dressing room. Knowing James O'Callaghan and like the one thing James and James has been right when he said he said it to me earlier a couple of weeks ago when I was chatting. He said, "I hope people give me give us credit for what we've done." The thing is, to me, this is the best performance to win a national league. It's probably the strongest national league to, in terms of the win when you add Rovers in Rovers into it. To have only dropped points in two games, to have only dropped five points. Out of, out, of, out of 18 games is absolutely phenomenal. And like I said last week, I thought Wexford might have got a result about against them. I got a draw against them. But like you look at, at the game is going 60 minutes and then all of a sudden Piedmont just step on the gas again and then they get the two late goals. And then once they get one, you think, okay, signs they'll deliver. And then Dolan pops up again and you're sort of thinking. But it's you look at players like Karen Duggan, Nevery Burke, um, like the two players for me that probably deserve... A lot of the credit, but they don't. They won't get as much of the credit as say a Carter and Duggan or so. If though, it's Jada Barrel and Chloe Maloney, yeah. centre back. Jada Barrel played on the wing. Oh, until, until, I, I did have to get an eye test when I saw her playing, and early in the season, I think it was against Sligo Rovers. She was playing centre back. I thought she was just filling a gap, uh, but if she was, she's literally filled that gap all season. She's been absolutely phenomenal uh, as a converted winger to go back into centre half and do as well as she has. Uh, very, very impressive. From her. And Chloe Maloney is Chloe Maloney as well. Chloe Maloney is the sort of person that when she she could have easily dropped out of the National League a couple of years ago on the bench a lot for Piedmont, wasn't getting much of a look in. Went had a, went back, went to Galway, had a bit of a spell with Galway. Then Claire Walsh, Stella Doherty, Stella Doherty leave, and she gets the call to go back to Piedmont. Goes back in, plays a little bit, a little bit towards the end of that season, and then the next season sort of plays a lot again. She could easily have gone and sailed off and played Gaelic football. Like she got to the intermediate intermediate all Ireland final this year with Claire. Could easily have just went and got to go concentrate on Gaelic football. But what a rejuvenation! What a what a season she's had. She's been unbelievable for them. And like the thing about it is, is that there's times where you, you've looked at him and you're thinking, oh no, they're going to drop points here. They're not going to do this. Like I've gone back to and I've said on this show three times already, maybe four times since the since a couple of since the since we come back off the international the World Cup break. That game against Bowes is just epitomizes everything that's everything that Piedmont have done this year. Late goal, Derville Burn, superb finish. But it, it was the character, the never die attitude for me that that's sort of what what's impressed me the most. And I saw a picture on social media yesterday, and made me made me smile. The picture of Lauren and and James because remember we had Lauren on the show earlier in the year, and she yep. must have got a lot of stick when she was on before the Shells game, and then they, then they then they lost the Shells game. But like to see. Players like that, you know, like Tara Holland hasn't played in weeks injured. 
like they've lost big, big players, and they just seem to just keep going, keep going, keep going. And well, let's take a look at the players who have played for them this year, courtesy of, of our website, finalwhistle.ie. You get all this information. Karen Duggan has played 22 games, Lorna Callahan ever present as well. Floyd Maloney's been involved in every game this year. This includes obviously the Avenue Cup games as well. Um, and I think there's a maybe there's another game in there too, uh, 22 FBI games. Cup. Yeah, that'll be right. Um, <clears throat> but you can see yourself the, the quality of the, the players coming through there, like Jess Fitzgerald, still underage. For me, uh, she's probably she's probably right up there when it comes to young player of the year this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if Piedmont have a, have a clean sweep in player of the year, manager of the year, and young player of the year this year. I wouldn't be at all surprised if they have a clean sweep and treat them. And if they do, you can't turn around and say they don't deserve it very hard to look past Karen Duggan and I normally wouldn't pick players out this early for an individual award but can't, I think can't go past Karen yeah, yeah. but the thing is she won it a couple of years ago then you started to look at last year Emily Emily Corbett winning it and then like for me the statement that that go the, 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 the moment that you knew how much this how much Karen Duggan wanted this was when she put that tweet out last year to say I'm staying yeah, yeah. that's how much you knew P-Man United means to Karen Duggan. I think there's a great photograph on, on the league's social media account where hugging her mother after the game yesterday. And you can see how much it means it means from her. Like you look at, uh, I think, what's that Nemo's, is that Nemo's fifth title, for fifth National League title? You know, you, you know, there's, players, there's players like that. Like We haven't really talked about Nevery Burke this year. But yeah, P-Man have been ultra consistent. And like, from a, an entire squad, from a management like James O'Callaghan lost Vinnie Parson at the start at the end of last season. Vinnie going in to take a, a role in, 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 in men's football in the Lancer Senior League brings in Brian O'Sullivan, who'd coached for that coach at, at, at League of Ireland level, managed Wexford in the League of Ireland, brought him in as an assistant manager. And like the one thing that everybody said to me this year when it come every time I spoke to someone in Piedmont is we're fitter, we're more, we're, we're so up for it, and like. I I just I just think they deserve all the credit all the, the credit all the credit they're getting and all the all the accolades because like I know everybody's talking about Piedmont they want the, they want to go down the route of a and a, a League of Ireland clubs only but what Piedmont have added to women's football is absolutely remarkable and continue to add to it is absolutely remarkable. Uh, we've spoken about this at length on the show before. I'm not going to get dragged into it today, but I agree with you. There's a certain amount of risk when the women's game goes in under the League of Ireland, it becomes another addition rather than the main focus of the club. I love that Piedmont have maintained that. I don't know how long they're going to be able to continue to maintain it. We talked about that last week. Uh, let's take a quick look at the league table. Of course, this is not the final league table. Still a couple of weeks uh, to go in the uh, competition, but you can see there Piedmont United uh, secure top spots. Uh, they have 12 points on Shamrock Rovers, as we mentioned, with four games to go, but will win it on the head-to-head if if the absolute um, bottom fell out of their season, they would still grab that league title. So they'll be awarded that in their last home game against Sligo Rovers. But at the other end of the table, um, I know we talked about a treaty, but great to see Cork get a win. I think it's important that we don't see teams not get those little victories through the season as well. It's disappointing if you see a team that didn't beat anybody all year. For Cork, uh, it's a big result for them. I'm not sure how much it's going to change in terms of their uh, attention for next year, but it's it's key for them to keep winning just to keep them um, in touch in some way because that's very tight now between those three teams at the bottom. Yeah, it's been a bit of a horrible season. A horrible season for for Cork. We we probably expected a lot more from them. But like the thing, the thing about Cork and like when you look at Cork, is the amount of young players they've tried this year. The amount of players they've given opportunities to. Like we've seen Eve Mangan captain in Cork, 18, 19. 
think well, we said it before, Kieran McNamara is probably their oldest player, 23, 24. And like they're probably one of the youngest average age squads in the, in the league alongside Treaty. And they've constantly had players in underage international squads as well. So like they've, they've been able to keep them players. And like realistically, but this season always going to be going to be difficult for them. I think if they can take a step on in terms of the learnings that they would have taken from that season, there's no doubt about it. They'll be they'll be a stronger they'll be a stronger team. They probably feel last week against Sligo maybe they left that one behind with the second half performance when they get level so early into the second half that they didn't go on and win it. But like I'm glad to see they're not going to finish with a with a zero in the W column. I think that is important as well. And could they get another one before the end of the season? It'd be well, difficult. That was, but... that was my next question because there's a couple of interesting, like the league title is done. Uh, there's no relegation, obviously, to speak of, but there are some interesting um, little contests within the league table. In, in those kind of tiers we talk about from time to time, the race for second is going to be interesting. Shamrock Rovers ahead by a nose, possibly with that extra game in hand at the moment um, on shells. But that's going to be an interesting battle over the next couple of weeks. Uh, for me, that mid-table fourth-place spot up for grabs between maybe those four sides, Galway, Bowl, Wexford and Athlone, who again have a game or two in hand. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out in the last four weeks of the season. And then at the bottom, there is bragging rights and, and I suppose trying to avoid that wooden spoon at the bottom. If Cork can get a result, uh, will Treaty or Sligo manage to stay ahead of them? Um, who's going to finish in that ninth place as well? I think they're kind of little small targets for these teams to really target over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, but it's it's that's the thing, and this we we've had so many conversations about different types of battles and and different types of things. And I know, I think Sligo still have DLR still have DLR to play. They have a difficult trip, a, a difficult trip against Shells this 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 midweek. Um, we spoke at length about it. As much as I as much as I detest the idea of bringing a, a club from from the west of Ireland all the way up to Dublin for for a league game, um, like. I'd suspect Sligo would probably Sligo would probably have the harder of the running of of, of of the of the of the teams, but like if you look at say for for example the likes of an at, the likes of an Athlone, while Athlone would probably like to finish as high as they can, I'd say a lot of priority for them is now is probably on can they avoid injuries up until for the next couple of weeks, make sure they don't miss anybody for the for the cup final because there's no doubt that they're gonna have revenge on their mind when it comes to shells from 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 last year's cup final and what happened in Tala. Like there's there's so many permutations. Will will managers give it give it give players a try? I'd be very interested to see what what James O'Callaghan's going to do in the last two games, because away to go away to go away he might play some he might play some players in that away to go away game. Then the last day of the season, a home to Sligo, you're going to get the trophy at home. What what are you going to do? You're going to go full strength, or are you going to bring players sort of role players on and and because. Oh, I- Want to win those two games? I think. I think. I, the think statement, I think the statement they've put out this year in terms of their performances, they're going to want hit as many points as possible, and they'll be looking at that fifty-five points out of sixty and going, "We we think we can get that." They may, particularly in the Sligo game, maybe when it's a bit of a party atmosphere, the league will be wrapped up. Um, they know the presentation's happening. There's no real pressure. There's no jeopardy on the game. They'll put start a strong team and try and kill that game off and then make a few changes if they manage to get a lead, maybe at halftime or early in the second half. Uh, but I think I think even though the, the league title wrapped up, they'll still want to get that points total up as high as possible. But can you imagine, could you imagine though, if P-Mount finished with 55 points, considering the opposition they've had in that league, that league this year? Obviously It'd be not. absolutely... Meant, and it, it, got down, it has to go, for me... If they finish with 55 points, it has to go with the best ever women's national league title. I'd agree with that 100%. And Let's considering, 
just Thank before God. I do, considering, and I've said this on record, 2021 is probably going to go down as one of the biggest slip-ups in in, in, in in football, in Irish football history. And they've wrote that, they've wrote that wrong. There's no doubt 2021 hurt. Because I know from speaking to James, it hurt. And I know from speaking to him when they when they lost the first cup final against Wexford in the Aviva, how that hurt as well. And I think the character is probably the one thing that I, you can't stress enough of, of P Mount United as a club. We will uh, hopefully have a chat with James later in the week. We have plans to maybe do another episode later in the week after the midweek games uh, to have a chat with James about the, the season so far. We purposely not had him on because we didn't want to put any pressure on uh, until it was done and dusted. A couple semi-finals, of course, last weekend. We've touched again on that final between Shells and Athlone. It's a repeat of last year's final. Um, we did highlight at the top of the show uh, kind of the, the way the, the games went yesterday. Um, but you were at the Shells game. I was at the Sligo Athlone game. Talk us through the game in Tala and, and where Shells won it, basically. Shells won it and Shells won it in defence. They they limited Shamrock Rovers to, to minimal chances, chances from distance. Amanda McQuillan made one or two, one, only really had to make one or two decent saves. I thought Libby Moore in midfield for, for Shells was very, very good. Started ahead of Alex Kavner, broke the game up completely. They started Hannah Healy in a more advanced position, and Hannah just tormented Shamrock Rovers all, all day. And like from a Shells viewpoint, they probably go in at halftime and they're all a little bit disappointed. Probably had to, had the better of the chances, and then. Not long after, not long after the break, Megan Smith Lynch corners punched away by Amanda Budden. It's not properly cleared. Comes out to Kerry Letman who gives it back to Megan again, and she finds Christy Great at far post and her header back across goal. And you could see once that went in, you sort of thought, like a half time, I was saying to people, it's either going to be a one nil shells win or we're going, we're going all the way. I didn't see Robert scoring, and I thought Robbers were the one, Robbers were the team who were making the mistakes compared to last week, whereas. If you look at last week, the game was sort of dead and buried after that fifteen minute, that ten or fifteen minute mistake, where there's a couple of mistakes from shells and they, and they get punished a couple of times. Whereas this time, shells were a lot more switched on. You could see how how alert they were. Like I spoke to Pearl Slattery after the game, and Pearl sort of said, like they put last week behind them. They just they knew it's a different performance. They, they it's it's all about it's all about this week. It's all about um what what we what they need to do now and like. They just didn't let Robbers back into it. The second goal is a calamity. It's it's a it's a long ball push forward, and Sean Fo- Amanda Budden gives it to Sean Fox. Fox tries to give it back to Budden again, but Fox completely underhits the pass, and Hannah Healy's there that says thank you, robs the ball, and fires into an empty net. And you, you, she starts celebrating as soon as she hit the ball. She knew it was in, and that was all she wrote. Like Robbers, Robbers really disappointed me in terms of going forward. I thought they didn't re- they didn't really offer an awful lot going forward. Second half they were poor, and like. Shells were full value for the win. Collie O'Neill have to go back to the drawing board to lose the league on the same day and then be knocked out of the cup. Is, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a double whammy, but Shells were full value for the win. Um, Shells fans never stopped singing. They really drove the team on at times when 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 they needed the extra bit of push. And like Shells are really really good on really really good in the day. Probably for me, it's probably their best performance of the season. I think down in Sligo, uh, it was. Probably what you generally expected coming in as a neutral to the game. Athlone obviously have a better record, the cup finalists last year, um, probably better form this season. Um, and they've been in fine form over recent weeks as well. And they kind of brought that in. They were the stronger side pretty much from the awful. Sligo did co- compete with them pretty well for the opening, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. They weren't outplayed for 
the first 25 30 minutes of the game um there was chances at either end but Atlone probably had the stronger opportunities and um, the american influence there just ripped Sligo apart at will when they when they ran at them um I was very impressed with Bonnie McKiernan in goals. I thought she came out. She commanded the area very well. Um, there was a mistake later on for the third goal. Didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. The game was already gone at that stage. But um, she, what she did, she did really, really well. And she's a young player. She's only 17, maybe 18. Talked, we've talked about her a couple of times this season about putting in big performances for Sligo Rovers. And I'm not surprised to hear, to hear you say that. I've only caught clip, clips of the game. But like considering how how good she's been, like I think in the Bowes performance, the first... I think it was the, the league performance in in Dalymount where in Dalymount where they lost one 0 I thought she was brilliant that day as that day as well. And like she's a she's a bright future if she can keep going. Yeah, there was a couple of really good individual duels as well in different places around the pitch. Leah Kelly and Madison Gibson had a good battle for most of the game um, until Kelly went off late in the game, but. I think I think they one picked up a maybe both picked up bookings at one stage for little challenges, little niggly challenges on each other. But Gibson probably shaded that battle, but Kelly was definitely in there for the fight. And Emma Hansbury, what can you not say about Emma Hansbury as well? She's just she does the simple things so well. She probably doesn't have the legs anymore to get up and down the pitch like she would have done uh, eight or ten years ago. But what she does bring now is that just the brains, just these little touches, just away to get the ball away from a, an opposing player and into space for one of her teammates to run onto. Um, and she really does pull the strings for Sligo. When she's on form, Sligo have a chance in games. It's it's an awful shame we didn't get to see her in a Sligo jersey five years ago. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think she probably would regret that as well. But I suppose this is the way the the cookie crumbles sometimes. Um, but Sligo, they're definitely better now than they were at the start of the season. There's some really impressive performances there. But in terms of of the game, Athlone never really looked like losing this. They got a, a somewhat dubious penalty. I felt in real time it was a penalty. She uh, took a touch. Um, can't remember quite up top. I think it was Lauren Carbon took a touch away from goal, and Leah Kelly came in and she just took her out of it just on the corner of the box. So she was standing in the box. Um, the ball had almost left. And by the time Carabin fell over, she was outside the box. Uh, Leah Kelly herself was outside the box, but the, the foul actually just took place on the corner. I think it was a correct decision by the referee. Plenty of debate about it, um, both during and after the game on and from Sligo's point of view, they felt it wasn't. Uh, they're always going to kind of feel that way. Like the local bias is always going to kick in a little bit. I'm I'm pretty sure the referee got the right decision. Uh, phenomenal finish uh, from Madison Gibson for the the penalty. She buried it, gave uh, Bonnie McKernan absolutely no chance. And then a deflected goal moments later off uh, another impressive player who I thought did really really well for Sligo, Emer Laffrey. She's come into them in the last few months, but she got a block on it. But all it did was just knock it over the head of McKernan into the back of the net. And from there on in, uh, there was never ever going to be any other winner other than at Lone Town. Uh, that mistake we talked about, McKernan just kind of went up, caught a ball, it bounced off her hands and just fell to the head of Jesse Rosman, who will never get an easier goal. She nodded home from about six inches. Hearing an awful, we're hearing an awful lot about her in the last couple of weeks. And yeah, very good. I hate mentioning it. I hate mentioning this person's name because I do it every single show. But Ken Kernan is always tweeting about players and I'm always looking at his tweets. And he's saying, he said after she scored her first goal, watch her, watch the, watch her. She's going to be a, she's going to be a quality player. And so like, you're, you're keeping an eye on these star players, but like, that's not more youngster than more player and more like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you on the spot here. And I'm gonna can Athlone get revenge against Shells in the cup yes. one. If they play as well as they did yesterday, um they can. Now it's gonna need a, a lift. They will probably need to be as good, if not better, to take Shells on next week. I don't think I don't think Athlone are as strong this year 
as they were last year. I think they've lost a couple of key players in, in certain places, um, particularly maybe in defence. Um, but I think if they show up, Katie Keane is probably is an addition to them in goals. Didn't have a whole pile to do yesterday, but anything she had to do, she did really, really well. Um, Roshan Malloy scored a goal 15 minutes from time. And Sligo native, she's from just outside the town, uh, played underage for Sligo. Myrne Devaney, another former Sligo player, won the county championship in Leitrim with Glen Carmanna Hamilton yesterday um, afternoon, scored the winning goal, came on at half time, scored 1 3, uh, went and played the FAI Cup semi final that evening. And uh, I don't like that. I'm just telling you the facts. They're I just... know, but I, I don't know, but I, I know of another player in Dublin who went to play in an FAI Cup semi, played 90 minutes in an FAI Cup semi final last year, and then went and played an intermediate club championship game in Dublin, club championship final in Dublin that night. I think it's at that sort of level, like she'd be the sort of player for me I'd expect to be starting an Athlone team and sort of driving driving Athlone on. And like we we talked a little bit last week about the soft oil incident if they, if if they had been playing someone else and the, and the nose ring had of put in, put in, had an impact on that i just think at such a big you mentioned that and i won't m- mention names to protect the guilty but one player was coming off the pitch uh, last night after the game we were doing some interviews you can catch them on our youtube channel uh, with um Kieran Kilduff is there and also with uh, some of the Sligo folk as well um Steve Feeney gave us his thoughts after the game but uh, there was a player came off the pitch i won't even say what team she was with and all she did was someone mentioned her nose ring and she put her finger to her nose and goes, oh, my God, I forgot to take that out. So the double standards in, in refereeing, the referee had a good game yesterday, but for a player to come off the pitch uh, two or three weeks after that incident happened with Pease, um, it's a little bit, uh, I don't know what I'm looking for, but just unbalanced, you know, imbalanced. And oh, 100%. Just, 100%. It should be one rule and implied the same way across the board. Uh, in terms of the final, though, it's going to be well, Mount Water, and I think Athlone are going to bring a big crowd of them. They had a really good crowd in Sligo last night. Given that it was uh, basically a choice, if you're traveling to that game, it was basically a choice between that and the rugby. And of course, the whole country wanted to watch the rugby. Oh, no, so. Unless you stop at a pub, unless you decide to stop at a pub in Sligo and watch it. But even but then, come here. Not comfortable so no it's, there's a toss there's a toss of a, a toss of a coin or a, a draw to be made i think it's monday or tuesday for to decide who's going to be the home team in the in the cup final and once that happens then what i'd say to people is keep an eye on their club their club social media because if they want tickets in the shelves and they want tickets in the athlone and they'll start to come out with they'll start to come out on sale midway through next week but to be honest with you we need to sell talent over the cup one it's going to be a massive game i think i think there's a really, really good potential of getting a good crowd in there. Shells have had a good uh, following all year. Uh, the men's supporters have really come on board in the last 12 months. And I think I'd love to see five, 6,000 people in Tala. I think it's doable. Five, five and a half last year. Yeah, I think it's doable to really uh, probably probably get close to a sellout, if not sell it out. But um, it should be a phenomenal game. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, to what it might bring. Absolutely. I can't wait. Well, we are hoping uh, we're going to wrap it up there, but we're going to hope to have James Callahan on. We haven't nailed down the exact details yet, but we will let you know ahead of it. But we'll be going through everything, a review of the season uh, with the P-Mount boss, the title-winning boss, his second title with the club, uh, and he'll be quite happy. Uh, uh, Incorrect. 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 Third title with the club. Apologies, James. I'm sure I'll hear about that one uh, later on in the week. Um, listen, uh, thanks to Kieran uh, McCormack. Really exciting times for everybody in the Midwest and particularly at Treaty United in terms of what... Preston, just be- before we finish, don't forget, just to mention the fixtures for the midweek fixtures this week. 
Yep, we have three games uh, on Wednesday afternoon. DLR Waves host Shamrock Rovers, Galway United host Athlone Town, and Sligo Rovers traversing the country on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, not happy about that in the showgrounds last Saturday night after their defeat has booked them. They really weren't happy about having to go to Shells on a Wednesday night. It's a day out of their lives. Uh, but listen, it is... Uh, the sacrifices people have to make when they play in a professional league, but um, it's it needs to be looked at. It's, it's not really the best situation for anybody, but there are the fixtures. All those games, 7.45, all live on LOI TV. You can follow with updates as well on finalwhistle.ie. That's us for this week. We'll be back later in the week with a conversation with James O'Callaghan. Uh, we'll let you know the details. We'll talk to you then. Cheers. <laughs>